Bros. Welcome to episode 8 of the Politics and Bros podcast. It is Thursday, January 23rd, 2020. Howell, are you with me? I'm here, Pete. All right, all right. This is good times. Yep. As always, good times. Yeah. How you been this week? Uh, it was a um a rough sports weekend for me, uh, so I'm I'm get, getting over getting over that. But uh, the Titans lost, as most people probably know. But you know they had a good run. Mm-hmm. But perhaps less well known, but more devastating for me was um, Vanderbilt basketball did not make a three pointer in a game for the first time <laughs> since the rule was reinstated in, I don't know, 1988 or something, 1987. Wow. It was a span of 1,080 games. We were one of only three teams to have made a, a three in every game since the reinstatement. Ugh. So it was kind of the only thing we had going for us. And we went 0 of 25 from three-point range against Tennessee, of all people. And kind of just uh, we're at rock bottom. So. Uh, and you're and you are not a Tennessee Volunteers fan. No, I'm not. So yeah, so that was a rough weekend, but uh um we got a we rescued a dog on on Sunday. Um and What'd so you name the dog? We're enjoying. We named him Zico. Zico. Any what's the significance? Anything? It's a it's a soccer move actually. Um, oh. My both the kids are soccer players and so Makes sense. We tried to have a soccer reference and after saying uh, should we name him Messi or Neymar mm. or mm. Um, we came up with Zico? So Christian, Cristiano. Um, yeah, right. You know, a little too obvious there. So yeah. Zico is doing well and 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 brightened my mood after a rough sports weekend. So long way of saying I'm doing I'm doing fine, Pete. Thanks. Um, what about how about yourself? <laughs> it was a long, long weekend with the with the MLK holiday, just with uh, the yeah. three kids. But. Um, Wait, I, I was trying to remember how old is is the baby now? Like six months, eight seven months, months uh, two days okay. as of two days ago. I forget that that's still a challenging period. He's actually super easy. Okay. <laughs> it's the other ones. It's the other two that are okay draining the life out of us. Yes, well, you know, um, but the uh, end the end is only like three, four, or five years away. So true. You know. God, <laughs> just hold out for that long. I wish I wish I could fast forward a little bit, but. Oh, well. No, you don't. No, no, you don't. I'm going to get sentimental. You do not. Um, but you this is, I got, every some, moment. I got an interesting text uh, yesterday, actually, that okay. I wanted to tell you about it since you brought up soccer. Um, uh, okay. my, I used to play when we lived in Chicago the last time I used to play in a, in a regular soccer game uh, in a rec league. It was a co-ed league and a men's league. And it was a couple mm-hmm. nights a week, both indoor and outdoor. And one of the guys that organized it, who I was good friends with back then, and but since we've moved to different parts of the city, we don't really keep in touch that much. But he texted me and asked me if I wanted to come out of goalkeeper retirement and join oh, wow. a forty, an over forty men's league. <laughs> well, part I of me wanted key. to tell him to go straight to hell uh, because he brought out, he reminded me that I'm over forty. Yes, but um, I'm, I'm considering it. We'll we'll see. Uh, I I think you should. Seriously consider it. I have to say, returning to tennis after many years away was has been very good for me, um, and I really enjoyed my time out. I actually appreciate it more now than I probably did when I was younger playing. So, uh, I'm getting very sentimental and sappy tonight, but um, uh, that's cool. And yeah. also, um, I hope I'm not stealing your what I'm into later. But Pearl Jam released a new single, so oh. very excited about that. 
that's really funny that that was not going to be my what i'm into oh, okay. but it is it, <laughs> it probably should have been <laughs> uh yeah i'm super excited about that uh it's a very good song uh dance of the clairvoyance if you uh if, for those of you who are interested check it out download it uh, and on uh, on itunes um uh, yeah i'm a fan yeah, what'd you think yeah yeah i I, uh, I listened to it a couple more times today um and it's definitely a departure for pearl jam mm-hmm. um there's no huge guitar solo but um you know the elements are there and uh yeah we'll see i mean you know with these things it's always is interesting to see how you feel about a song you know six weeks later six months later mm-hmm. two years later um but right now it's it's you know i keep coming back to it which is something i can't say for a lot of pearl jam uh singles over the last three four albums so yeah yeah i agree yeah yeah i texted i texted uh a couple of our buddies you were on it uh, and i said that this is the best best uh work they've done since yield which came out uh, which was their album that came over, out in 1998 yeah, um over 20 years ago so yeah and i think that this a is a, a phenomenal step forward for for them musically so i'm pretty excited to hear the rest of the album which comes out uh, at the end of march and uh yeah yeah i i work with people who are um about yield's age so um i wonder <laughs> if they i wonder if they're pretty excited about uh pearl jam's new single probably not but probably not, you know, um, they're probably not listening to this podcast either. No. Uh, so yeah. So shall we dive into, uh, the agenda for the week? Let's dive on in, man. Fire All away. Right. All right. So we'll start with our news of the day. Um, the first thing I wanted to discuss was impeachment related. Uh, mm-hmm. so the, the trial is officially begun. And I think most people probably um, have decided where they fall with regards to impeachment, um, kind of think they know how this is all going to play out with ultimately with the acquittal of the president um, against the two articles that were brought against him, which he's on trial for. So there's really not a lot of... uh, uncertainty related to what's going to happen maybe here and there. I thought it was interesting that uh, chief chief justice Roberts admonished both of the, right. um, p- both of the, the parties for their performance and their language on day one of the, of the trial, which I, I very much appreciate as, you know, he's a, pre- he's very much an institutionalist and he's, he's protecting the sanctity of the Senate Senate debate and, and, yeah the institutions, but um, I thought it was a little surprising. But other than that, the only thing I think uh, really that is surprise could be a surprise here is whether or not the Senate votes to hear from witnesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I probably won't get to that until next week, a vote on that. Right. But um, I think that is really can momentum argument uh get for republicans to vote with the democrats to hear from witnesses during the um during the trial so do you i mean what if you had to guess right now i'm guessing you would say you think they probably won't hear from any witnesses but i'm could just be putting words in your mouth I think that's probably right, but it's interesting because I think the big holdout is what Mitt Romney is going to do 
Um, he's indicated that he wants to hear from witnesses, but is staying pretty quiet on whether or not he would actually vote for that. Mm-hmm. And there's other senators that should be concerned too, who are in sort of, you know, purplish states like Maine and Susan Collins, mm-hmm. uh, Lisa Murkowski in, in Alaska, you know, this, these Republican senators that are representing purplish states. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like retiring senators like Lamar Alexander. Yeah, and, definitely like Lamar, definitely for like Lamar as well. Um, Another you know, institutionalist. And then you've got the guys that are trying to be game, trying to game the whole thing by saying, well, well, you can hear from from Bolton if we can hear from Hunter Biden. And and they're Mm -hmm. just they're just they're just kind of taking a piss there. They're just ridiculous. Yeah. Mistila, still a phrase from our friends in in Great Britain. But um, (laughs) uh, well, yeah, I think it's I don't think it's going to happen, but it's interesting to see that everybody's kind of watching Mitt Romney as he's if because if he falls, I bet you a couple other dominoes will. Will they get to the will they get to a majority to pass it? Uh, I don't know, but um, it'll be interesting to watch next week. Yeah, I, I just think it's interesting. It's it's one of the few elements of drama left, and mm-hmm. potentially, if if they do vote for it, um, that could really change the dynamic at play. And I know the and I know um, I read some reports that McConnell has made some contingencies for if they do. Um, they do vote for witnesses that how they could sort of contain that damage, which is interesting because he's admitting that <laughs> essentially admitting that witnesses will lead to damage for the, the, the white house. Um, but, uh, I, I, you know, I, I think this whole thing is kind of people try to treat it like a, a real trial, but it's theater, it's politics. It's, it, you know, it's all of that wrapped into one. And so, you know, it, to, for it to be so tightly choreographed has been, has been really, I think, interesting to watch. But also, you know, there is that one element hanging out there that, that we can, that could change sort of how that drama plays out. Um, so I think who are the people, as you said, you mentioned Murkowski, Collins, Romney, if they get those three, then all it would need would be one other um, uh, senator to to vote for it, and I don't yeah. really know who that would be. Maybe Alexander, um, Corey Gardner uh, could be Corey Gardner, could be one. Yeah, if he kind of feels right. like I mean, Colorado. I mean, he's getting he's getting murdered. He's going to lose anyway. Colorado. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he might just he might just hold out because he'd rather be loyal since he knows he's well since he could probably lose at this point um his yeah. his general election in november but um i think you're absolutely but if the right margins are else. slim yeah 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 but i think your your assessment of everything else is absolutely right there's a there's this faction of uh that are still trying to treat this thing as as an actual legal proceeding which impeachment is not and nor has it ever been a legal proceeding trying to classify the senators as impartial jurors. And then you have got Democrats saying that Republicans aren't impartial. Well, Democrats aren't impartial. Nobody's impartial right. because none of this is actually, you know, it's not like they put out a, uh, you know, these guys were put out for jury duty and they've got to show up and they don't know what this case is about. They all know what it's about to, for the most part. They may not have mm-hmm. paid attention to the evidence because they've been doing their their day jobs, but there's no such thing as impartial jurors, quote unquote jurors in this thing. Cause they just don't exist. Um, it's yeah. a political, it's political theater. Like you said. Yeah. It, yeah. I don't know what, 
I mean, they do take an oath to be impartial jurors, but I wonder, it'd be interesting to to kind of know the context for why that was written as is in in mm-hmm. the Constitution. Like, was there an idea that they would actually be sequestered? Or maybe just because the way information flowed back then, they thought that maybe they would, could potentially not really know all the details. Um, you know what I mean? Like, we're in yeah. such a different information era that, anyway. Um, so, yeah, that that's something to watch over the next week. Uh, if there are no witnesses, um, then this could all be wrapped up maybe by later next week yeah. or by the next time we pod. So, um, and then, then let the fun games begin with yeah. uh, Trump. Um, so yeah. Uh, he'll, go his, he'll go on his acquittal victory tour. Right. Right. Imagine those <laughs> rallies. Um, he might just start saying like, uh, yeah, who knows? He, I, I would, I could, can't imagine what he could say at that point, but. He, I've been saying that pretty much the whole presidency. Yeah. So, and it just keeps happening. He, he won't um, disappoint. No, rarely does. Uh, so, in addition to that, um, I believe you wanted to talk about uh, Bernie a little bit, and yeah, uh, the Democratic uh, base seems to be feeling the burn at the moment. Yeah, it's you know, I think on our last pod we talked about how Elizabeth Warren had leaked or. It, it broke that you know, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders had a, uh, a secret conversation back in December of 2018, where supposedly Bernie said that a woman couldn't win the nomination. And it's funny because since then, Bernie's been going up in the polls. Elizabeth Warren has more or less been com- continuing to fall, not not drastically, but go down in the polls. And you know, the reports today and recently is that the the rank and file Democrats are worried that he might actually win the nomination. Um, Jim Messina, who was Barack Obama's campaign manager in 2012, was on uh, Morning Joe on MSNBC talking about how he would be the worst candidate. Bernie would be the worst candidate to take on Trump in November. Um, and he laid out a couple of reasons why. Uh, but further beyond that, there's been rumors today that even President Obama is worried that Bernie would win the nomination. And he might even go public with a statement to that effect that he is concerned if Bernie becomes a nominee, that uh, Democrats won't be able to defeat Trump in in November. So that's I pretty think it's a really interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's unprecedented, and yeah. it's a really, really interesting dynamic. If he really were, if that's true, that he would go public with a statement like that. Um, and I think the reasoning Jim Messina laid out, he laid out how he probably Bernie probably won't play well to Midwest voters. Bernie has been very public about how he has built his campaign on young voters and first-time voters and even first-time immigrant voters. Um, but Who it's all been promises of free stuff. And right. it plays well. It pulls well. We're going to forgive college debt. We're going to make college free. We're going to get you free universal health care, free, free, free. Um and the people who have been around, you know, long enough to understand, and I'm not to say that younger voters can't understand this, but I think more savvy voters and people who have been around for a while know that nothing's free. Everything has got to get paid for through taxes and revenue and all that. Um, and just to promise free things is, it might be a good way to get votes, but it's not a good way to to run a presidency and try and run the country. At least that's my opinion as a come from a Republican, so. Um, I don't know if you've, if you've got additional thoughts on it, but I think it's, I just think it's really 
it's it's starting to become pretty dramatic um, in the Democratic primary now. The um, the the Obama thing would be pretty wild. Uh, you know, I I can't think of. It almost makes me think that like, gosh, is there this pragmatic faction of Democrats that could potentially break off not I guess they wouldn't break off because our system's not designed that way but like you know it it just it lends credence to to the thought that there is a a majority of centerish pragmatic voters that could get together um for a party um but because I've never heard of of a former president not endorsing his party's nominee. Yeah. Or maybe he, maybe he doesn't plan to just not endorse him, but just to say, just to come out and offer why the time is, you know, make an argument for, for moderation and, and, and rep, but not, not necessarily directly rebuke Bernie. But, um, I, I, I tend to agree with Obama that, he does he does if you look at some of the the polling he does poll actually pretty well against Trump in some states that are battleground states mm -hmm. i just think he could potentially open it up he could he could change the electoral map if he were the the nominee where states that are traditionally blue like he would probably lose pennsylvania pretty handily i would bet um you know i think Someplace maybe like uh, Arizona would then definitely not be in play. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like he and I just think that he um, he might he's the example of you know <laughs> why the primary system is kind of bad <laughs> because you're 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 playing to you're playing to your most loyal. Uh, loud, ardent supporters right. rather than trying to win an election um, for the whole country. And, uh, you know, unlike, like I thought in 2012, Romney was able to thread that needle pretty, pretty carefully and swing right during the primary, but then it almost immediately pivot back to the center. And as a result, you know, he was, pretty competitive at least in the popular vote i don't i can't remember what the electoral breakdown was there but he was pretty competitive mm -hmm. um unfortunately i think bernie's just too much on record that no, pivot's not possible no i mean bernie has much of an ideologue yeah bernie hasn't changed in 45 years 50 years i mean honestly that's and you you hear right. you hear that's part of his appeal um the daily New York times, uh, podcast, they did, a. they've been kind of profiling some of the candidates and they went to some Hispanic neighborhoods and in, in and around Los Angeles. And, uh, that's one of the things that people talked about that he, Bernie's been so consistent, his positions in the seventies are the positions that he has now, and he's never changed. Um, so yeah, a pivot is not possible. I mean, it, right. I don't even know how that would even work at this point. Right. Well, it does seem like, uh, kind of, there's been a rotating candidate of candidates who've surged over the last four to six weeks. So mm -hmm. this could, this could all change in 
two weeks. I, of course, two weeks from now, Iowa will have happened, and um, I think a lot of things will be a lot clearer. Um, yeah, the field yeah. should thin out some more by then. Yeah, and then we'll get to see if Bloomberg is really serious. I guess if Bernie <laughs> wins, and then, um, but yeah. Oh, Mikey! Oh, bring little Mike! Yep, bring it home. All right, so shall we dive into um, our our meat of the week? Yeah, let's get into week? let's get into the let's see this, where this takes us. Okay, so we're gonna do something a little little different. One of the feedback we got was that Pete and I are too agreeable. Um, so uh, we thought we would do a little bit of a uh, debate this week because we know we're kind of on two the two sides of this this topic and we've actually discussed it previously um so i don't know if we we haven't really haven't really organized any rules for this debate other than the topic is is trump a threat to our democracy um how will the the chicago liberal with uh, um trump deranged syndrome syndrome <laughs> um says yes and Pete the um the judicious prudent uh, conservative principled conservative says he is not um would you like to maybe roll out your argument first uh um and I can maybe respond after that yeah Okay. I don't think there's any like empirical evidence to back up why I don't think he's truly a threat to democracy. I was I whenever I think about this question or I read another op-ed that sort of poses this question and analyzes it is I think back to when Trump won in November of 2016 and people at least in my office where I was working in DC came in crying that he had been elected like you know these these democrats or at least like center um, center, center left people were coming in crying. Uh, and I thought to myself, is this really a crying matter because Hillary Clinton lost and Donald Trump won? Like, yeah, I think it sucks. I thought it was a bad, it would have been a bad outcome either way, if you ask me, but, um, that we have we have protections. I, I have, I guess it's, I, I base it on my faith in the constitution and base mm -hmm. in and I base my, my put my faith in how our government is operated uh, since our founding. We have ebbed and ebbed and flowed. We have hit peaks and valleys. We've hit high times and low times in our history, and it's just the it's it, everything comes in a circle. It all it always happens, um, and we come out we come out fine on the other end. Usually, I also don't put my faith in politicians. Um, Politicians will always disappoint you, no matter how much of a supporter you are. Uh, and I think that's a good lesson for the Bernie bros uh, and, you know, and for Trump supporters. Your candidate is going to disappoint you at some point. They just will. Um, these really? human you think, beings. Uh, I don't think, I don't think the, um, many of the Trump supporters would say he's disappointed them. Some of the, the well, I mean, acolytes. And I think like, well, I think there's people, there are true believers that will never get disappointed because they just, they'll make up excuses. And that's true on, that's true on both sides. There's always people who will, who just, they can't think, they can't even fathom a, you know, a candidate wronging them, even when they get wronged. 
But at the end of the day, like for mass, for large population, large swath, like Republicans and Democrats, we'll just take Republicans because we're talking about Trump, but Republicans get disappointed in Trump. Trumpies, who I don't even qualify as Republicans or conservatives, they are bought in, they've got it in their heads, they, they're owning the libs, they're you know, living the dream. Even though Trump is probably doing things that is not in their best interest. Um, but see, this is precisely why I think he is a threat to democracy, because he commands such a loyal following at the moment that mm -hmm. it has led the the people who mainly could hold him accountable as an executive, which is the his party, his his party and the elected body, um, the elected the two elected bodies. Uh, who could hold him accountable and rein him in, they do not. They let him go. They let him break what the Republican Party has stand, stood for in the past mm -hmm. because they are so scared of the bully pulpit that he has and what he could do to them. And I think that he has gradually um, pushed and pushed and pushed until the party is completely pliant behind him. He has completely taken over the party and he has done things um, that uh, are, he has, he made up a national emergency to, um, can, to excuse an executive order to circumvent the power of the purse of Congress. Mm -hmm. That is not, that is, that is the act of someone who does not respect democracy, who thinks he's a king. Well, and yeah, I get, I understand that, but the, but I honestly, but also think about how he's pushing, we'll take the Senate as the prime example right now. He's pushing senators further and further to the, to his right, to what his version of the right is. And several of those senators are just getting their asses kicked in their states and they're not going to be in office in November. And he's going to have to deal with a now Democratic House and a Democratic Senate probably in November. So the the check will come back in. Yeah, we will deal with we will deal with sections of of time in history where he's got power to do crazy shit and he's able to achieve random things that are not in the interest of all the Amer all American people. But at the end of the day, things come back around because that's the way our government has been, or our system and our our system of uh, democracy has been designed. Um, so while there's a threat, there's always something there that's going to check it on the back end. I mean, that is, that is presuming that the Senate does flip back to uh, democratic control. If mm -hmm. it does not, um, he's still got a body that is rubber stamping, um, you know, kind of his initiatives you know, when I was thinking about how to structure or think about how to make this argument, um, you know, I think threat to democracy is probably, it's a wide, it can mean a wide, a wide uh, array of things, right? Um, but ultimately, I would say that, uh, and that threat to democracy for me means you're you're ignoring the elected system of government, the will of the people, um, and and sort of conforming it to your own own agenda and um, 
personal motives or whatever what whatever uh and and i and, and trump is not the first executive to uh push executive power right this has been coming coming down the pipe obama did it absolutely bush did it you know this has been growing and growing um for many 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 years and i i i remember when trump was elected and i thought um well, if there's a silver lining to this uh, this presidency, perhaps he will be so unpresidential and so disorganized and so terrible that Congress will actually take back um, some of its power that it's yielded over the years to um, to the executive. Well, it turns out I was wrong. Congress just uh, rolled over for him, especially uh, um, over the last you know, couple, last couple of years once he's really pushed to get things the way he, 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 um, he wanted, wanted them. I mean, I think he's definitely, you know, he, he eroded, he's eroded the Congress's power of the purse. Look, now he's trying to, um, redirect billions more from, from, that have been earmarked for defense for his, his wall. Um, and what, you know, what's to stop him mm -hmm. from declaring other emergencies that may or may not be, you know, as long as he says it, it's an emergency. Um, you know, he's, he is ignoring subpoenas from Congress, um, claiming broad executive privilege, uh, uh, exercises, um, that that are sorry my computer went out i had my notes up and it, i was i was deep in thought one second here <laughs> Take um, your time. yeah so like with this magan testimony right the the house subpoenaed him um for basically to talk about the the Mueller report right um and they claimed he was not going to because of executive privilege um it actually was uh, the the district court in D.C. ruled that McGon has to testify, and in her uh, in her readout of the the her ruling, she said, you know, she actually had to say, presidents are not kings. So the fact that you have um, we're making arguments that presidents are not kings to me says that this we're in a situation where this guy, if allowed. Um, would act like a king and not respect sort of the will of the people. I mean, think about all the things he said. He said, um, I'm president. I can't have conflicts of interest. Um, I, Article 2 gives me the power to do whatever I want. Um, you know, this this would not be an issue if he had someone who was actively checking him at the moment, and no one is. And that is my concern. Um, and, you know, the, the, the fear, and I think this is where you start getting into people tagging things with Trump deranged syndrome, is the man said, didn't even say he would acknowledge or accept the outcome of the 2016 election because he thought he was going to lose. What makes you think he's going to accept the outcome of the 2020 election should he lose?
and ha- and and I know you're going to say Republicans will hold him to the rules of the land, but they haven't shown that they're willing to do that on the big issues. Um, the only thing that's really checking him is is the courts. So, and then the and then with the courts, you have him with uh, DOJ. He's put a yes man in power. Bill Barr um, is now actively basically actively um, investigating political opponents by investigating, um, uh, well, first off, they finished the Hillary Clinton thing, and surprise, there was no charges brought. Um, and then now he's investigating Jim Comey. Um, probably won't find anything there that rises to the level of crime, but you never know. Uh, so I, I just think you've got a man who is um, putting yes men into traditionally non-political inst- entities, and you've got a party that is letting is scared of scared to check him, and that is why there is a threat at the moment to, uh, you know, a functional system of democracy. Well, first of all, there's no such thing as non-political entities in the executive branch. They all serve at the pleasure of the president, no matter what the party affiliation is. Um. Well, you, 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 so you think the way he, he has referred to the DOJ and, 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 um, uh, spoken about the DOJ, um, that that is, is not a violation of kind of how we've set up that, those two institutions. No. Because they serve at the pleasure of the president. Now, now right, is he but, is he yeah. is he you know um, ignoring historical norms? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, he's these positions are political positions where he gets to appoint the person that he wants, with the consent of the Senate, obviously, um, to serve in these positions. Um, so I think that. Correct, but he's then using them to serve himself. And, and that is that and is so, this is not the first time in history where that's been the case. I mean, we've had we've had a political appointees who have been granted enormous amounts of power in history to do the bidding, political bidding. It's uh, this, and I'm not like I said. This is this, should that be the norm? Absolutely not. I'm just I'm just putting things in a little bit more of con- historical context, um, and then kind of getting back getting to impeachment. Impeachment is a tool to put a check on the president. I mean, this is an opportunity for the Democrats to present a case, and when the executive branch blocks people from testifying. Democrats need to follow through with their subpoenas and take it to the courts. But because they wanted to rush this thing through because they were afraid they were going to lose public opinion, which honestly shouldn't, it does, but it shouldn't factor into the calculation. But that's what they did. They rushed and they refused to take these things to the courts to compel testimony based on their subpoena. Now, if they would have done that, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be in this situation. But also, if they had done that, this process would have taken a lot longer. We'd probably still be in the House examining everything. I get that. But I find it really hard to swallow when Democrats complain or the, you know, the liberals complain about 
well, he just he blocked people from testifying. Yeah, he, they did. But guess what? There's no legal. He he blocked them. He asked. He told. But he, he more or less asked them not to testify. They didn't have to listen to him. They weren't legally. There was no legal ramification for them ignoring their order. But at the end of the day, all they had to do was file the subpoena and take it to court, and they probably would have been granted to granted. Uh, they probably would have been able to compel the testimony. And that's what happened with Obama, right? With the Fast and the Furious stuff. Yeah. Of course, it took like several years for it to actually work its way through the court yeah. system. Um, and I and I think that yes, impeachment is a tool. Um, but when you have a party that is doing everything in its power to close its eyes and stick its head in the sand, um, and say, well, everything is hearsay. Um, we don't have the you know firsthand evidence, but then there's, um the president and the white house blocking uh this testimony um if they just went to the president and said well if this is exculpatory then why don't you let us hear from these mm -hmm. people um and they because they know it's not and so they're complicit in this um and that is why you know impeachment if there's ever in my opinion and i may not be you know i i recognize not everyone uh agrees with me the found if, if there was ever a case for impeachment, we're watching it right now, and it's not going to happen because um, you're, you have where sides are so dug in that people can't have a, a real um, a look at the issues. And I think part of the reason is is that he is a unique threat to democracy. It's not just because of him and the Republican Party. It's because of where we are as a society um, and what we've our history of getting to this point um but i i just think that you know the the simple fact that there are um bipartisan groups rising up called like defend democracy um you know bill crystal has something has a has a group um george conway has a group you know that that this is the, the simple fact that these exist when they never have before in, in modern American politics to me shows that this is a tangible thing. I mean, we're not going to uh, we're not going to obviously decide tonight if Trump's a unique threat to democracy. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, do you have any any closing closing sort of statements or arguments? I I put my faith in the institutions and the constitution. I do not put my faith in politicians. I never expect politicians to do hundred percent the right thing. Um, maybe that's because I, I've been I, around them enough in my career to, to know not to do that. And other people don't um, one way or another, he's gone. And within the next five years, <laughs> he won't be president. Hey, he wants extra time. He wants extra time for, for the time Mueller, uh, cost him so you know maybe which like won't happen years. so i mean fantasy land is a great so place say, to live but it's not where we are so well, it's where our president it's where lives, our president lives so. it probably is but it's not it's never yeah. going to happen he's going to lose control of the senate he's not going to have anybody watching his back anymore after november at least in my opinion um well, then he'll get impeached and even right, even if he, even if happens. republicans do hold it's going to be because of the of the republicans that are able to hold the purplish states who have been able to be have some level of check on him by insisting on yeah, witnesses and, and impeachment and um, 
you know, being willing to push back on him the way that like Mitt Romney has. And, um, how do you think he'll, how do you think he'll respond to that? Well, he won't have, he won't have anything. He won't have any recourse after that. I mean, honestly, I'm, I, it's, it's funny, actually. I, I think probably the best he, re, he really only, I would say he really only poses a threat to democracy, um, for the next year. And actually after, if he get, if he got reelected and served out his next four years, I actually think there would be like a, you know, he would do enormous damage in those four years. But, um, I think, uh, <laughs> he would actually turn over power and, and, you know, he could say like, I didn't have to, like so much of it with him is about ego, right? So like he wouldn't have to run against anyone. He wouldn't have to potentially lose to someone, be it. Um, and he could just kind of hand it over. Um, so, you know, basically it's this year for me, that's the real fear, um, what he does. Uh, and then after that, um, you know, it'll either be a new president or he'll be serving his second and last term. Um, and, really, I, mean, but really cons- I do have a fear and I do have a fear in the back of my mind that like, you know, people who have traditionally not liked executive orders and not and and fought for the power of the purse are are rolling over for this man. And, you know, I don't know what they might do next. That's really my fear. Well, my biggest fear is that, and we've just, we've discussed this on this podcast before, is that the pendulum is going to swing the other way, potentially even further, if, you know, if and it's a President a Bernie Sanders or President Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you'll I mean, see, you'll hear like, people, you'll now. hear people on the right arguing that they're threats to democracy. Because yes. all of their program, all of their proposals deal with weakening. Well, depending depending on how you view it, weakens our defense, our national defense. Will uh, take money out of the pockets of average taxpayers to pay for their multiple new programs that they want to institute. Um, and people view that as a threat well, to I, democracy, yeah. a threatened a threat to freedom, yeah. a threat to liberty. Um, and if that happens, we'll be here calling them out for that as well. Right. I damn well hope so. But yeah, I'm, I am, uh, I am, I have hope and it's not hope in politicians. Like I said, it's, I have hope in our country. I've hope in the voters. I've hope in the constitution. And, um, we've been in dark times like this before and we'll be in dark times like this again. And it's, a, it's what we do in between that matters. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. I'm 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 tearing up here. <laughs> All right. Well, that was spirited and fun. Um, hopefully mm-hmm. our our listeners enjoyed a little uh, little frothiness between us. Um, Call me Rachel Maddow now. Um, a holes. Yeah. So let's finish this up by going a little brighter and lighter with what we're into. So, Pete, um, I'm just going to be real quick this week, so I'll go first. Uh, go first. So I'm into, and you know this, I've been into intermittent fasting. Uh, and oh, right. I've been doing this since the new year. Um, there's a supposed benefits to it um, that include, uh, you know, um, better regulated blood pressure and... Um, I thought you were going to say something else. Uh, 
better, better <laughs> sleep. And I can, I can say that the one thing I have noticed throughout this is since I've been intermittent fasting, I've had, I've had more dreams in the last three weeks since I've started this that I can remember than I probably have in the last five years combined. So it's, oh wow, yeah, it's, it's strange. And my sleep is deep. I would say that's the, been the most tangible benefit. Um, other and like vivid dreams that you yes. actually remember the next morning. Yes. Like I've woken up and been like, Oh my God, you know, like multiple times. And I hadn't done that in probably regularly in years. So, um, wow. yeah, so it's been, I'm, I'm going to finish out the month and we'll see how I feel. Um, but, and I'm, sh- I'll be sure to let all, all these, all our listeners know if I stick with it and how it wrapped up, but yeah, that's what I'm into right now. Yeah, keep us posted. It's great. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm into this week. Uh, so our good friend, Ryan Mayo, um, he is the creator of our new logo. If you see that on the, on, on our Twitter page, um, at bros politics or on our Apple podcast page, uh, Ryan's got a shop called last exit. It's a leather goods company and it's based in steamboat, uh, steamboat Springs or steamboat, Colorado. Um, I have one of the belts that he has made, uh, I've bought from him. I've got a wallet that I actually lost in our move from DC back to Chicago. But what I'm into is that I am actually ordering some new stuff from him, uh, tomorrow. In fact, on Friday, I'm going to order a new belt, a new wallet, and then uh, he makes a cool money clip out of copper that I'm going to get. But, uh, lastexitgoods.com, great leather, uh, made in America, made in Colorado, uh, goods. America. And he's got, every, he's got, it's just great stuff. Bags, wallets, belts, every, every, everyday carry uh, items. Um, Ryan's a big fly fisherman. So if you're into fly fishing, he's got cool stuff. I don't even know what any of that stuff's called, but uh, to carry your lures and all that. Um, cool. So check it out. Potential future if, uh, podcasts, podcast guests too, we hope. Uh, yeah. And I'm also hoping that he'll like do a, a discount code for our listeners. There at some you point. go. <laughs> not to put him on the spot but but you just did um cool well check that out everyone um made in america can't beat that uh, absolutely all right well till next time i guess till next time follow us at uh on twitter at bros politics and uh check us out on apple podcasts politics and bros uh thanks for listening thanks hal this is fun yeah, yeah. all right later pete I'm going to go to the casino.